Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Mo Soccer Podcast with me, Bridger, and Preston. Say hi, Preston. Hi. <laughs> so we have had some major uh, t- problems tonight with technology. I've had some issues with my internet, and then my Chromebook, uh, then my laptop not working, and all this stuff. But we finally got it all figured out, and here we are. So if it kind of gets a little like cut out a little bit, or we our internet is bad, and I like glitch out or something relax it's gonna be okay because it's it's all my fault so before we um well before we officially start or whatever we're gonna go over a lot of things but the one thing i really want to go over first is a little project that is happening in columbia missouri that is a group of people who are trying to get a semi-pro team here in columbia missouri and they are called afc columbia I've spammed uh, a couple of like their memes and stuff on Twitter and on Facebook to some of my friends. But what it is, is just a, it's a group of people in Columbia that are big diehard soccer fans. And we might've found out that Preston would have gone to the same high school as them. I don't know if that's true or not. We'll find out. I haven't really like met him too much or had a chance to really meet the guys, but we've just kind of talked online a little bit, but basically what they're, they're pushing for. And I can read the message here. And we're going to show you their website here in a second. But basically is right now they're trying to basically push for a, a, a lower division, lower league, kind of something like the NPSL or the uh, US, not USL, but UPSL, which is like United Premier Soccer League. NPSL is like National Premier Soccer League. It's basically kind of like a league that is very low end, not MLS, not USL but it's still a, a league where guys are, are pay, getting paid very, very low amounts and they're traveling around the state uh, or around the country to basically, you know, it's kind of, it's like semi-pro, it's like low league soccer. And with Columbia being the size that it is and a very, very, and basically in the middle of the state, me and Preston kind of talked about this. Oh, was it, what, how long ago was that? A couple of years ago? When about we a year and a half, called, two years. Yeah. We had like a meeting with them in the Fulton medicine shop because we had like milkshakes or something. And we basically had a phone call with MPSL. And we kind of talked about it. We're just like two younger guys. And it, it does take a lot of money and it does take a big following for things like this to kind of grow. And it also takes a big amount of sponsorship. So obviously me and Preston at that time, we were, you know, young college kids. We didn't really know too much about kind of starting a club. But these guys are are already kind of, they've kind of figured it out a little bit more than we did obviously a couple of years ago and they're going to have to do the same things we are. They're basically trying to spread their name out and try to get their name out there and try to see if there is a, actually like a, a big support for this. So basically what we're going to do real quick is I'm just going to go ahead and kind of show you um, the website that they have. So this is AFC Columbia's website. As you can see, they are looking to try and get a semi-pro team here in Columbia, Missouri. They actually have a full store. So if I go to the store here, and I actually bought a shirt today from it. It's all very, very decently priced in for like for them. They've even got some Christmas sweaters here, t-shirts, obviously. They have the actual jersey, which looks really, really awesome. I love the colors. And it's all connected to Columbia. It's not like we're just, oh, we like these colors, so this is us. These all have ties to Columbia. So if you actually go here to the About the Club. So these are very, very easily. You, you just click on it, and obviously, either um, uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you need to go to afccomo.com. So that's AFC com and basically they have an entire uh you know store here for you to buy merchandise and gear for it because this is kind of one of the ways that they're going to be able to bring in money to be able to get because uh, getting a semi-pro team even mpsl or upsl it, it costs a lot of money because obviously you have to pay for a coach you have to pay for travel you have to pay for gear you have to pay for all these things right so in this jersey right here it's only twenty dollars i bought the shirt here earlier and they have different colors obviously it's a really really cool 
little thing that's going on here in Colombia. And then the reason why the color actually, they all have ties to Colombia. They have a whole little club logo uh, branding thing on here. What they're doing. I don't know if this is what I wanted, but basically they kind of talk about like the colors are originating from the new city flag. So the colors are actually have to do with the Columbia flag colors. So it's really, really cool. It's like we're in a, they're diehard Mizzou fans, or at least I think they're diehard Mizzou fans. They're local guys and they just want to help grow the sport here in Columbia. So feel free to go and find them on Twitter at uh, AFC Columbia. They're also on Instagram and they also have a Facebook page. And then obviously if you want to help support, feel free to shout out to them on Twitter and also uh, get some merch. It's, it's pretty cheap on the merch store. It was only $20 for the t-shirt that I got. I think that's really awesome. Um, yeah, I'll definitely, press, I've been thinking about it. So definitely need to do that. Oh yeah, it's cheap. It's only $20 and it's just, it's going to help grow soccer here in Colombia. They obviously haven't started playing games yet. They haven't, really done anything too crazy because all that stuff is going to take time they're most likely going to kind of i gave up the idea or i told him the idea was like hey maybe you guys should form a team and then you know play in a local league here but then go travel around and play in tournaments you know as a men's team and you know recruit guys get some good talent around the columbia area get them on the team and go and travel and play yeah it's might you know, cost you a little bit of money at first to do that, but it, it would just be a great way. And I think a UPSL or even an MPSL team would be great for this area. And we, we talked about this a couple or a year or so ago, Preston, there's William Woods, Columbia college, Westminster college, central Methodist. You can even put Missouri Valley in there, all these colleges right around this area that would do really, really well with having a team for them to play in in the summer in the state that they already live in yeah i mean so i just think it would be a great opportunity if you could pull in the best players from missouri valley central methodist columbia college and william woods right now historically they've been really good teams in, in ai i mean that's almost a all-star nai team right there if you can draw a couple players from each of them i mean that's not bad and nai is nothing no. nothing to joke about when you talk about college soccer i mean they compete with division twos all the time it's not a bad oh yeah Putting international kids in AI. I've always considered NAI more of like a a D two lower division one level because there are so many guys that they get due to like age restrictions. Because like NAI, there's no age restriction. I mean, you could be a 30 year old ex professional from Guatemala. All you have to do is sign a little paper, become amateur again, and you can play NAI. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's guys all over the place. I mean, they're crazy good talent, and there's so much money in NAI as well. I mean, there some schools either have like six full rides, or some will have like eighteen full rides. It, it it kind of varies, but I think they have they can give out as many as they want. There's no age restriction, so NAI is full of amazing talented players that I think get overlooked because they're playing NAI and not NCAA. And so, they have they have a lot less uh, academic uh, requirements as well. And so, I mean, you have these kids from other countries that they just maybe the people they're setting them up with uh, potential scholarships, the United States, they just don't really understand the academic requirements for NCAA or they just kind of barely miss out on something because it gets overlooked. And I mean, NAI is right there and they get those all the time. Oh, yeah. And there's tons of schools, too. So there's there's so many options for people to choose. And obviously we have one of the best NAI teams in the country, literally 45 minutes away from us, only 25 minutes away from Columbia in Fayette, Central Methodist, two-time back-to-back NAI national champs right there. So there's plenty of talent around this area. Just That's just the college kids. This could go into something else where let's say it becomes a, you know, an MPSL team. Next, you know, they have a youth team and then, or then they have an under 21s. Then maybe it becomes a team for the local high school kids around here to play on during the summer to get them ready for that college level. You know, so there's there, there's a lot of things that could come from this that I think would be super huge for the city of Columbia. And there's enough people in Columbia and Jeff City, like the surrounding areas. Columbia's got, what, 120,000 people. Jeff City has 60,000 people. 
Then you got Fulton, which is another 14. You got Moberly, which is another 14 or 12, 14. Then you got Boonville, which is like another eight or nine. You got Ashland, which is another five, six or 7,000 people. So there's enough people around here that I think, and enough people that play soccer around the area that would be, that it would be enough to back a team in Columbia where I think it would be getting enough fans. The problem is we got to get the name, got to get the word out. So this is the kind of, I know it was a little bit long of an intro, like to talk about AFC Columbia, but this is just like a cool project that I'm going to try and get involved with. And then I think Preston's obviously going to get involved with to try and help grow here so that we can try and get something like this in Columbia. Cause I think it would be super awesome. It'd be a super awesome way to get a part of become a part of it. So if you're listening to this, go follow them on Twitter Go follow them on Instagram. Follow them on Facebook. Go check out the store. It, it, it's $20. I know that we're kind of, a lot of people are struggling with money right now, obviously with what's going on in the world. But if you got the money, get a t-shirt. It just, it helps. It goes to a good cause. And they want to do a lot of things, especially not just with soccer, but they want to give opportunities for the community and other things like that. But I think it's an awesome project and I am super excited to learn more about it and get involved with it. So Preston, you have anything else to go about that? Oh, that's about it. Make a great Christmas gift. Yeah. Yeah. They've got Christmas sweaters. It would be perfect. So moving on to the next thing, staying with American soccer, the MLS cup final was last night between Columbus crew and Seattle Sounders. I was not, I will honestly say I predicted Seattle to win this game easily three, one, but it was 100% domination by Columbus crew early on. They, even though they had a couple of key missing players, I mean, they didn't have Darlington Nagme, which has been the, the rock of their midfield the entire year due to him having uh, becoming positive with COVID-19. And they had a young 19 year old Aiden Morris fill in for his spot. And you would have thought that Columbus crew didn't miss a single step. They pressed high. They put them under pressure early and it was just an absolute amazing performance by Columbus Crew, and Seattle just did not show up. Preston, you have anything to say about the game? I, I I watched it. I don't know if you watched it or not. I was not able to watch it live, but I watched some highlights and looked over some things. And I mean, uh, you probably have a better idea than I do, but I mean, obviously Zillary on heck of a game. I mean, you can't ask anything else from him. And I mean, you look at the stats, and uh, possession was really towards the Sounders. I mean, and it just Columbus crew just took the chances when they had them and, and took them often. And I mean, that's how you score goals in those games. I, that per, I going into, it, I thought there's no way you're going to keep the Sounders from scoring, not scoring at all, uh, but they somehow did it. So. Hey, Preston, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Cause you did cut out there a little bit. I didn't hear anything you just said, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure your recording probably got it. So I think yeah, you're probably so good much on I was that. saying they, uh, Columbus crew took the chances when they had them and took them often. I mean, that's how you win those games. It might not be the best shot, but get some shots on goals and, and convert. Yeah, it was, it was one of those where I I've never seen Seattle play like that. They looked completely almost not in like into it. Uh, Stefan, Stefan Fry, who was their goalie. I mean, basically all he did was pick the ball from the back of the net the first goal that came in was an amazing cross from the right back. It's either a fool or awful, however they pronounce his name. But he swings it over to Zeralean, and he hits it with his right foot, outside of his foot, and it just kind of goes right to the bottom of uh, Stefan Fry's hand. And everyone's giving him kind of crap about it. But the thing is, that ball coming from across the goal to him hitting off a volley, it's going to be hard to react to that no matter who you are. So – I can't really give him too much on that. Uh, defending by Alex Roldan, Christian Roldan's younger brother, who is not a natural right back, was playing right back that game. And both of the first two goals were definitely his fault, not marking in the back post and allowing them to get space and get a shot on. The second goal was just an amazing finish um, by Etienne, who's the, the young ex-New York Red Bulls player. And he just – he plays – it almost looked like how Tony Cruz likes to shoot. He, like, keeps it low, and it just kind of rolls. But it just went to the bottom post. Again, Alex Roldan not defending that back post, giving him too much space, making it super easy for him. And then that that's how the half finished, finished 2-0. And I figured that, you know, because 
Seattle Sounders was down 2-0 against Minnesota United, and they came back in the last 15 minutes to win that game 3-2. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to kind of put them out too much. I didn't want to say, oh, this is this is over. I didn't want to say that because obviously they've come back from this before. But the problem is Columbus Crew is not the Minnesota United. So when they, when they came out, they were a little bit better, getting a little bit more chances, getting more on the ball. They had like, I think, 65% of the possession, and I think they had – half the shots so it was just columbus crew instead of they didn't sit back they kept pressing everyone thought that because darlington nagby was going to be gone they were going to sit back and they were just going to take up a bunch of pressure and try to get them on a counter but they didn't they kept doing what they do they've done all year they pressed them up high they didn't get away from their game plan they went into everything and they finished their chances and the third goal was an amazing goal by zero zero again which by the way he got the assist on the second goal and was just uh, gets it in the middle of the box Hits it with his left foot, top left corner. Stefan Fry can't do anything, and it just puts the game to bed. It was, mm-hmm. it was a, a lot of people were on Twitter saying that it was a bore fest and it wasn't an exciting game, but I thought it was a very, very good game. It was boring game watching Seattle. It was a really fun game watching Columbus. So, I mean, obviously Columbus was the better team on the night, and they proved that. And then from, in my mind, I was thinking about, how it was crazy a couple of years ago we were talking about save the crew that this team wasn't even going to be there anymore it wasn't even it was going to be in austin texas fc austin and now they went from being losing in the mls cup, cup final to portland who caleb porter was coaching at the time then to almost losing their club to being 20th last year and then now mls cup champions so it's just it's a really really cool rise for columbus crew did you uh you happen to see the picture, the side-by-side picture of uh, three of the players on the Columbus crew right now? No, I didn't see that. So there's a picture uh, going around. I saw it one place. It was on Twitter somewhere. Um, but it was pretty much like the three youth players that said, like, save the Columbus crew, like youth program, save the Columbus crew, like save them. And then all three of them are now on the the top squad for Columbus crew. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Aiden Morris is one of those. Yeah. 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 I did see that. I think I retweeted that actually. I did see that picture. That, yeah. That's a great, yeah. It said save the crew. And one of them was Aiden Morris. It was like uh, how it started, how it's ended or how yeah. it ended or something or, yeah. or how it started. And this is it now or something. So, that's so cool. it was a, it was a great, it was a great MLS cup. Obviously it would have been nice to see. I lost your sound there for a second. Can, I hear you? can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. So it was really, really great after the game when Don Garber was giving his speech that all the Columbus fans were booing him because this man wanted to get rid of their club. And then now he had to give a speech about them winning the MLS Cup. And it was just it was awesome. It was just great to see. I wish there would have been a full crowd there. It would have been been nice to hear that one with more than. Oh, a yeah, thousand it would have been amazing. Doing. Was it 1,000 or was it 2,000? I thought it was 2,000 people. Well, it was 1,500 was what they said the attendance was, but I'm sure not all of them mm. were Columbus fans. So, um, yeah, 1,000 of them. That probably actually broke a record. It probably was like the lowest MLS final attendance, which is not a good record, but it's a record because of obviously yeah. the circumstances. But that probably broke a record. So, yeah, I'm not sure. a good record, but yeah. Okay. Right. Anything else you want to talk about that game? I think that's about all I have on that one. All right, cool. And there's a little bit more. We're Actually, this is kind of gearing towards one of my trivia questions that I have for you. All right. Okay. So I did – we're going to go ahead and move on now to the USA versus El Salvador game. So I obviously did a live talk with that, and I had quite a few viewers, so that was really, really great. But USA versus El Salvador. USA beats El Salvador 6-0 in Florida. It was – in my mind, an awesome view for some of the young American talent from MLS. It would have been nice to see some of the fringe European players on the squad, but it was really, really cool to see some of the young players. And I don't know, Preston, did you watch this game? Yeah, I caught part of it. So if you want to go ahead and just talk about your opinions on it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's an El Salvador team. That's it's not too great. But, um, I mean, early on, really, it looks like it, the USA team just kind of took control and uh, and really moved it around well. 
and work together well. I mean, um, who was the the kid that scored two on him? Chris Muller. Yeah. So I don't know much about him, but that was that was good to see. Maybe maybe some guys coming up to challenge these challenge the guys kind of like on the top uh, of the U.S. Men's National Team right now. Really really push them to kind of keep improving. And who knows? Maybe uh, maybe a good substitution here coming up for qualifying. Um, so that was good to see. Yeah, the, the 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 real big standouts for me that game was obviously Chris Muller was by far the man of the match had two goals, two assists mm-hmm. on his U.S. men's national team debut. And obviously we know, yes, it's an El Salvadorian squad, yeah. but then again, this is just our young MLS talent. So this mm-hmm. isn't like our best USA squad either. This is more, and I wouldn't say it would be like a, a C team squad, but this is like a, this is like a B B lower B squad, because even though, yes, there are some very good young USA players that play in the MLS. This these aren't the best players in in the pool, even MLS standards. This is just what Berhalter wanted to kind of get these guys in the USA fold, so we can get a good look at them. He had uh, Chris Muller looked really good, two goals to assist. Uh, Paul Ariola, it was really really good to see him back. Obviously, after his injury, he hadn't been in the US squad for a while. He got himself a goal, actually the first goal, and then. Uh, Akinola got a goal on his MLS de- or on his U.S. Men's National. He's still there. I lost you for a little I bit. I thought Brandon Aronson looked really, really good in the midfield, and there's a reason why he just got bought by RB Salzburg to go join Jesse Marsh in Europe because he he looked good and I think he's only maybe 1920 he's like 19 or 20 years old and he looked really good a couple of flick headers that he's done he worked he was on the box to box midfield did really really well he was strong obviously got himself a goal so he looked really good but my my all my biggest standout from that game was the Chris Muller performance Sebastian Legett and Brendan Aronson those were my two biggest favorites uh Sam Vines playing left back I thought was pretty cool to see guy from Colorado he looked good he actually helped start the first I think it was either the first or the second goal that came in but the one that I want to kind of talk about that I didn't think was all that too amazing was Akinola he got himself a goal but it was kind of like one of those he slid and got a tap in on it and he did well to kind of hold up play he kind of reminded me of like a younger, slower Josie Altador now. Yeah. It's not like the young Josie Altador that used to be, you know, fast and go at the ball, hold up, play really well, be strong. It looked more kind of like a Josie Altador now that's kind of slower, wants to hold up the ball, looks kind of a little bit top heavy because he's so like bigger up top. But he he was good, but he wasn't anything special to me. Yeah. Um, I don't he know if you noticed I mean, anything about him. He's got a lot of growing left. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player oh. in the future. He just, he, that's just kind of what he reminded me of. I, I wanted to, obviously, I didn't, I haven't watched a lot of TFC, Toronto FC, because obviously not a Toronto fan. So I wasn't, I'm not going to watch a lot of their games. And he's done well. He's got like nine goals and five assists in the MLS, which is nothing to, you know, that's not bad. That's great numbers, especially for, for a guy who's 20 years old. Good numbers for that. But I just wish I would have seen a little bit more of them. I think, especially against a team like El Salvador, I think that if you're a striker and you're playing against El Salvador, you've got to be having a little bit more of an impact. And he did well to get back in the midfield and, and put pressure and close the gaps, which helped us a lot. And obviously that's kind of what Berhalter wants from his strikers. Obviously a guy who's going to fill in the gaps, put a little bit of pressure, get back on defense and then get in the box whenever, you know, the wingers start making those runs. So he did. He did what Verhalter wanted him to. I just wish I would have seen him actually get a little bit better goal than what he got. So that's all I've really got about the USA El Salvador game. Yeah. El Salvador just looked looked terrible, and I'm sorry about El Salvadorian fans, but it was just one of those games for you guys. It was it was rough. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Yule looked really really good as defensive mid. It, 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 the the one thing about Yule, I'll say this, even though yes, it's a good it's El Salvador, not a great team, but. If we call Michael Bradley up to the men's national team again, I'm going to flip a br- – I don't even – I can't – I'm not going to cuss, but I will not be happy because we have three amazing up, like players right now that can play defensive mid, and 
I, we don't need to be calling up Michael Bradley anymore. It should be a U.S. men's national team retirement for him. We have Yule, Adams, or Weston McKinney that could play that defensive mid role. We don't need Michael Bradley. Mm-hmm. And yes, I get it. He's had a long career in the U.S. men's national team, but we've got guys who can play there now. Yeah. We don't need to bring him up. He's too slow. Obviously, Toronto were terrible this year. Well, they weren't terrible, but he could have been a heck of a lot better. And they're paying him way too much in Toronto for him to stay there. But I think there needs to be – we don't need to be calling him up anymore. I think it needs to be maybe one more game against, like, I don't know, some lower team to kind of give him, like, a U.S. men's national team send-off. But that should be about it for me Yeah, on him. We've got too many options in that role now. Yeah. And I think especially uh, – um, obviously, we were talking about Mueller. Is he really impressed everyone? But, I mean, injuries happen. So, I mean, he's – it looks like he's right there, pretty pretty ready to step in. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Musa as well. I mean, Musa is not a guarantee United States <sighs> national team player. He still hasn't signed the papers as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. I don't know if they present it to him. I'm hoping they do soon if they haven't already. But um, he's not a guarantee as well, so – that might be a position we need to at least think about filling if that doesn't happen. Um, but fingers crossed we keep him. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, yes, him following all the U.S. men's national team on, players on Twitter and Instagram does not prove that he's on going to choose USA. Yeah. So yeah. We, people need to freak need to stop freaking out about that kind of stuff on Twitter because, yes, just because he's following them doesn't mean that he's going to do anything. He just could be pals with them. So. Yeah. But then again, like Brendan Aronson, he plays midfield. He's another options in the, option in the midfield today. And I hope that when he goes to Salzburg, it's going to work out for him and he gets good European time. He's young, so he's got plenty of time. And I'm happy that he's making the jump to Europe so fast or at a, the age that he is because I, I, there's, there's ways that you can do it and there are ways that you shouldn't. I don't think American players most of the time should go from MLS to like a huge club. You know, like Freddie Adu and all those guys, like they went to big clubs and it didn't work out, whereas – you could go from MLS to like a lower, you know, Bundesliga or Austrian Bundesliga team and do better because it's, there's less pressure on you, obviously. And there's an American coach there. So he's going to kind of help him, you know, obviously get the ropes and feel a little bit more at home. So I'm excited about Brendan Erickson or Brendan Aronson. Sorry. And he plays for Philadelphia union. So, Oh, and speaking of another, another Philadelphia union, McKin- uh, McKenzie looked really, really good. This, the, the center back for Philadelphia union. He looked really good, and he's had he has links to uh, Celtic. Celtic is looking to get him, but in my opinion, I think the MLS is a lot better league than the Scottish Premier League. Mm-hmm. And yeah, even though you have a chance to play in Europe, you know, for like the Champions League, Europa League, I still would put MLS a little bit b- above playing for yeah. Celtic because Celtic's not going to do anything in in Europe anytime soon. Yeah, but. Yeah, overall, it was a great game. It, of course, it should have been a big win. It was a not a very strong El Salvadorian squad, and yeah, it was a, it was a young, hungry USA squad. So I'm glad that we got a big win out of that, and it was the last game for 2020 for a U.S. men's national team. So yeah, it was a great game, and I did that live uh, talk about it and got a lot of views. So that was great to see too. Okay, now we're going to go to a little bit of trivia, and so. I've got three questions here for you, Preston. All right. So, and they're all MLS related because we are celebrating 25 years of MLS here in America. So we're going to go with the first one here. So the MLS officially was announced in 1993. Mm -hmm. The first season was in 1994. Okay. With, I think it was 10, 10 teams, 10 original 10, 10 teams. I think it was. So in the first MLS Cup in 1994, you don't need to tell me who they who they beat, but you just need to tell me who won the first MLS Cup. Oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it LA Galaxy? No, it was not. It wasn't. Nope. I'd either say it's them or it was uh. The Wizards. No? Nope. It was D.C. United. D.C. United won the first ever MLS Cup. Did they play? I think they played. I think they played L.A. If I had to look that up. So, like, pretty sure. Pretty sure it was the. 
within the finals. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go to. I'm pretty sure that's um, they played DC United played. Yeah. DC United played Los Angeles galaxy. Okay. To I an remember, attendance of 34,000 people. That's not too bad. But no, yeah. I remember, I remember them galaxy obviously being good this whole time. And I wasn't the wizards like decent at the beginning. Yeah. 2000. They won one. They were okay, but yeah, they didn't win anything till since uh, 2000. Okay. That's when they won their first one. They were in their first ever, uh, MLS Cup final and they won it. That was when uh, Peter Vermes was actually playing for them. Yeah. So my the second attendance, since we were talking about attendance earlier, the lowest attendance before this one was about twenty one thousand people. Oh wow! And I think that's whenever it was in uh, Kansas City. There were a few times think... it was at twenty one thousand. Well, that's not a lot. A lot of that I think it has to do with the stadium that it's in. Yeah, because it's like smaller stadium. It would be the reason why. Like, it would be interesting to see like TV statistics on those. Yeah, like what's the viewership? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. All right, I got the second trivia question for you. So, when the MLS was announced in 1993, okay, they had ten expand, or they had they were coming up with like ten expansion teams. They wanted to have like ten teams. What was the first team that was announced as the first official MLS team? So I'll, I'll pull up the 10 founding uh, MLS teams, and I'll tell you which one is which one. Okay. And then I will tell you – and then you have to tell me which one was the very first one that they came out with. It's like they were like, hey, we're, we're going to be the first team announced by MLS. So here's the name of the the, first, the original 10 members. Sorry, in 1996, not 1994. So 1996. So it was the Colorado Rapids, Columbus Crew, D.C. United, the Dallas Burn, who are now FC Dallas, Kansas City Wizards, now Sporting Kansas City, L.A. Galaxy, New England Revolution, the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, now New York Red Bulls, San Jose Clash, which are now the Earthquakes, and the Tampa Bay Mutiny. Which one of those was the first announced? Um, man, I think it would be probably like New York. Nope. All right, I don't have it. I have no clue. The first one that was founded in MLS was actually the Columbus Crew. Interesting. Yep, they were the first team officially announced as a club that were going to be in MLS, the first ones. And they just won their second one after yeah. almost being, you know, destroyed. Yeah, I would have thought it would be right. like a big city or down down closer to uh, our southern neighbors, Mexico, um, would be yeah. first, but I guess not. So, last trivia question for you. What team has been the runner-up in the MLS Cup the most? In 2002, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2014, this team has been the runner-up in the MLS Cup the most. The runner-up. So they've been in five, five MLS Cups and not winning them. And I'll give you three teams that you can choose from. All right. Okay. You have uh, FC Dallas, New England Revolution, or LA Galaxy. Which team has the most runners up for MLS Cups? Hmm. I'd probably have to say the New England Revolution on this one. You are right. The New England Revolution have gone to the MLS Cup final at least seven times. I think they've won. Still there? of that like 2002 2005 2006 2007 was like when taylor twelman was still there it was like one of the star guys how many times have they won it just a couple they've never won it oh they've been in the final five times and they've never won it Jeez, i thought they'd won it at least once nope it's got kind of like a new england curse with soccer (laughs) yeah so there's someone in the nfl just like that as well always makes it but can never win 
you cut out your audio cut out one more time can you hear me yep i can hear you now okay now i can hear you too so what'd you say all right. Uh, what do you you have any more uh, trivia questions here? Or? Nope. That was it. The only three, and you went one for three. So, good job, Preston. Not great. You failed. <laughs> so, now we're going to move on to a little bit more of the European-based stuff. Dortmund. Well, well before we do that, what is so? Dortmund lost five-one against Stuttgart, forcing Dortmund to sack Lucien Favre. After the 5-1 loss to Stuttgart, he leaves the club in fifth position with 19 points, only five points off of second-place Bayern. And this is after two seasons, after two second-place seasons, one of them only losing to the Bundesliga two points to Bayern in 2000, uh, was that 2017-18? And yeah, because 18-19, no, no, sorry, 18-19 season, they finished second only with two points away from Bayern. And then losing last year by, you know, it was like 85 to 69 points. So pretty bad showing by them, but still finishing second. And then obviously they, they officially sack him now, uh, even though they are only fifth, only five points away from second place and actually winning their Champions League group. So it was a 5-1 loss by Stuttgart. Great game by Stuttgart all around. And the one shining moment, obviously, for us Americans was the fact that Gio Reyna got an amazing goal. Yeah. Ball over the top, brings it down, and just a great finish. I mean, that's – obviously, everyone was going crazy on Twitter, and there was a great comment. It was like uh, everyone's going crazy about the Gio Reyna goal, not realizing that they're down 4-1. So <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was not a good performance by Dortmund. That was a really uh, important goal, I mean, at the time. I mean, that tied it up, too. They mm-hmm. just struggled after that. But but it was an important part right there. But couldn't. Yeah, it put them in the game for like ten minutes until they blew it. After that, yeah, yeah it was just it was just not a good showing by Lucien Favre and Dortmund after finishing you know second, obviously top of their group in Champions League, which is awesome, but just struggling to deal with you know Champions League and the Bundesliga right now. Uh, obviously, putting a lot of pressure on Lucien Favre and obviously the Dortmund board are wanting to be able to win trophies, are wanting to challenge for the, the Bundesliga, even though it's very tough with Bayern and obviously leading to sack him. So the uh, assistant coach will become the interim manager for the rest of the year. And, but it's, a lot of people don't realize that actually Lucien Favre, after 110 games, has a 68 wins, 17 draws, and 25 losses. Even though 25 losses seems to be like a lot, that's still probably one of the most winningest managers they've had in a long time since Jurgen Klopp. So they actually got rid of one of the best managers statistically. You know, I don't really keep up too much with uh, what Dortmund is doing, but probably one of the best uh, overall win percentage coaches they've had in a long time since Jurgen Klopp and they've sacked him. So it was, even though the goal was great by Gino Reyna and it put him back in the game, it just wasn't enough for them to uh, handle the Stuttgart game. And it just, it winds up even a man without a job. So and the way that Arsenal's playing right now, I see Lucien Favre getting hired here pretty soon. Yeah. You think oh, that's a good destination for him? I don't know if he'll go to Arsenal, obviously, because that's – I mean, you get fired at Dortmund. You talk, we want to talk about pressure. Talk about Arsenal. I mean, that team has a lot of pressure. And they're 14th in the league right now, and they haven't even sacked Mikel Arteta, which is very surprising to me. But there's lots of managers right now, like Mario Pochettino, uh, Allegri, and then obviously Lucien Favre, a lot of managers that are free agents right now that could be getting picked up, but I don't think he'll go to Arsenal. I think he might go to another Bundesliga team. Yeah. Do you think it was too early as a, a move for, for that? I mean, they've only given I, two years. I mean, they didn't, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of time. And I mean, he's not doing much worse than anyone's done since Klopp. I mean, no one's been winning trophies for him. Any yeah. reasonable trophies. I mean, they did one of one Deutsche Pokal, which is a big deal, obviously, but they they should be challenging for more than that. They've dropped down quite like you said, they dropped down in the coefficients pretty low. I mean they're down to the right now, I think. Um, still the second German German club, but Yeah. 
And I think a lot of this has to do with which with I'm, I'm surprised they're sacking him this like this early in the season because they're only 11 games in. Yeah. You know, they still have a lot of season left to play. And like I said, they're only five points away from Bayern mm-hmm. at second place. It's very close. And Bayern's been dropping games. I mean, they tied Leipzig and they just tied Union Berlin like 1-1 yesterday. So mm-hmm. it's not like that, you know, it's not like other teams aren't dropping points. So it's, I, I don't know why they would sack him this early. I wonder if maybe there's like a, a little bit of a disconnect that we obviously don't know about that yeah, is going on in the camp. Side. Yeah, maybe there's something like maybe he's seeing something differently than the board is and the board is like, you know what, this isn't how we want things done here. And then they decide to sack him. It could be, you know, hey, we're going to give you more time, but maybe you should do this. And he just doesn't want to get away from his you know, way of doing things. Yeah, I just think it's very weird that they want to sack him this early in the season. And yes, uh, 19 points to 11 games is not good. They haven't had a good season, but they're still. I lost you there for a second. You back? I can't hear you, Preston. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay. So I just think with it being so close, I think sacking him might have been a little bit too pre- premature. And that, especially with them not having like, you know, another, you know, option right away. They're obviously going to go with this assistant coach, interim manager for the rest of the season. And I mean, who says that it's going to be even better than what it's going right now? Could get worse. Yeah. It was just weird to me because, I mean, after his first year, they gave him a four year contract and then. He's barely into that. I mean, it was just kind of yeah. something Something must have changed that we're not seeing or that the general public doesn't see. Um, that's the only thing that explains it to me. But Yeah. So that's all I've really got on that. I think it's too early for them to sack them. I think it's just going to be – I don't think things are going to change much. I mean, like, I'm just surprised they sign – like, they they sack him after even – He's also having to deal with what's going on with COVID and all this other stuff and Champions League. Just he just topped his Champions League group. Yeah. They're in the knockout stage of the Champions League. I mean, I'm so. And that's what you I want, guess, right? That's you're going yeah. for trophies. I mean, that's their huge money maker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you want to do well in in your uh, in your league as well, but I mean, he's not doing the worst. I mean, it's not great. It's not pretty, but still around. Still in yeah. striking distance for sure. And this is also the same team that didn't fire Jurgen Klopp after him finishing 12th. And yes, I get it. Jurgen Klopp has brought like, you know, they won, he won the Bundesliga with him. He won the Deutsche Pokal with him. He took him to the Champions League final. Yes, Klopp had done a lot more for Dortmund, but even when they were down the relegation zone, they did not sack him and he brought them up 12th. And it's like, what happened to that team that used to back their managers? You know, why is it, why sack him now? Mm-hmm. Instead of you know at least waiting until the end of the season, especially with what's everything that's going on, yeah. it just it it blew it blew my mind. I was very surprised. But anyway, now to move on to Champions League, or at least a little bit of Champions League. Weston McKinney. First, for, not all okay. So before we get to him, obviously the Barcelona game. Before that, he became the only the second American to score in the Serie A after. Michael Bradley scored in like 2013. He became the second American to score in the uh, in Serie A, and then he backs that up with the, the game against Barcelona. Juventus beats Barcelona 3-0 with Ronaldo getting two penalty goals and Weston McKinney getting a goal. Tell me about the goal here, Preston. Yeah, I mean he just got the ball in the middle, right outside the box, made put made a little nice give and go, and made a run and got a good pass and pretty much just a, a really, a really good looking goal uh, volley side volley in there. I mean, that's one you put on a poster and save for a while. Oh yeah. That's one you, uh, you watch in slow motion a couple of times. Definitely yeah. looked freaking athletic as hell jumps up and just hits it with a side volley. Cause I think he, whenever the ball was played in, it was played a little bit behind him. Mm-hmm. So that's why he was at, he had to get up like that and he just kind of had to get it behind his body. And it was just a great finish. And Barcelona just looked like they had no idea what to do that entire game. They looked terrible. They were just, I mean, they, their defense hasn't been terrible in the past couple months. It's not great, but 
their offense just cannot get going on. I mean, I just think they're expecting more out of Griezmann. They're getting, they're not getting much from him. And Messi can't do it all by himself. I mean, you can't expect him to do it all by himself. They're literally too dependent on Messi. Yeah. It's, they rely, I mean, they played Levante today or Levant or however you pronounce it, but they won 1 0. And it literally took Messi dribbling past like three or four people to finally finish it and put them up. And they won 1 0 against Levante. I mean, this is Barcelona we're talking about. How are you? only beating them 1-0. And I think the signing of Griezmann was a terrible signing. I don't think he fits well. When the way they the way they let Luis Suarez go to Atletico Madrid was a terrible decision and he's scoring goals for them. Yeah. So I think the whole Barcelona Barcelona has a lot of issues right now obviously with financial issues, their presidential election that's coming up, Messi being obviously pissed off and, yeah. and not wanting to not things going his way. The signing of Ronald Koeman as coach, I don't think good job. They're losing a lot of money because they're not, obviously they're not allowed to have fans, but then again, they're also not allowed to do like some of their museum stuff, which brings in a lot of tourism. So they're, they're losing a lot of money in that. And then obviously the, the club is also in a lot of debt. I think the club owes like a hundred million or something like that. Like they're losing, they have a lot of money and debt right now that they need to deal with. And they haven't, been going to their academy like they used to. I mean, I remember La Masia whenever we were at least younger, like nine, obviously like 2008, 2009, like the prime year of like Spanish football. Obviously they won like the Euro Cup and then they won the World Cup and then they won the Euros again. And that was like all prime, like Xavi, PK, uh, and obviously not Messi, but like the Spanish national team was like all basically La Masia or Real Madrid youth products. And now basically Barcelona has lost their identity. They basically become just like this buy players and lose money on them. Whenever they don't do well, you sell them off or you give them away for free. And then they, you know, you're losing money. So it's, it's, it's sad how Barcelona is kind of losing their identity. And I think that's why this, this presidential election for them, for the president or the president of Barcelona, I think it's going to be very crucial to see what happens in the future of the club. Yeah. It just seems like everyone on the team from the last few few highlight uh, highlights I've been seeing. I mean, they're they're just kind of being like, "Here you go, Messi. Go ahead and go ahead and do it." And he's like, "I make runs half the time. I need someone to play it to me." And they're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. well, I don't know how to do that." And then when he has the ball, <laughs> no one's really moving off a bit either and making good runs. And when they do, and that he plays a decent ball to him, just it seems like no one can finish. Like no, like yeah. they're putting. A de- an okay ball on goal, but it's not really super challenging to the to the goalkeeper. It's just not a good shot. I mean, it's I, I don't know. I I would be lost for words if I were him as well, and not happy as well. Yeah. They're basically, I think, what they're like thirteen points from the league title. So already early in the season like this, you're kind of thinking, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to even win the league this year. And it's yeah. And they finish second in their Champions League group. I believe so. So, I mean, they're struggling in champ. Yeah, they finished under Juventus. And mm-hmm. so they finished second in their Champions League group. So they're almost likely to play somebody who's top of the group. And the way that they're playing now and all the issues that are going on outside of or outside of the pitch is it's show it's giving other teams confidence. Like other teams are looking at that and they're seeing how they're playing all this stuff. They're like, I'm not afraid of Barcelona. Teams used to fear playing them. They used to get Barcelona. And yeah, they would have confidence. They'd go out there and play and sometimes they'd win. But most of the time, teams were like, oh God, it's Barcelona. Let's just not lose 6-0. Or let's just not lose 5-0. You know, let's yeah. let's try to just stay in the game. But now teams are coming out. They're like, we can do this. They're they bleed just like us. They're just like us. They're human. Yeah. So we can beat them. So I think a lot of teams, especially in Champions League, are going to be seeing the way that things are going on and they're going to have confidence. They're not going to be afraid. They're going to play their style. And I think the way that Barcelona's playing, they're not going to be able to deal with that. Um, yeah. To go back, back a little with, bit. Uh, on to- what were you saying? I can't hear you. No. All right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, can. Okay. Uh, so back to McKinney, I mean, the whole Juventus Barcelona game. I mean, he was playing really well on offense. I thought moving well, passing the ball well, finding the Ronaldo when he needed to. I mean, one of his passes to Ronaldo is what led to a penalty kick that Ronaldo ended up scoring. 
Um, he was doing real, really well offensively. Uh, defensively, it seemed like he needed to pressure a little bit more. He he was the one that ended up being on Messi a lot and sometimes left him open. It was outside the box, but it left him open a little bit for, for some sort of open shots. Uh, Buffon kind of made it uh, pretty clear to him that he wasn't happy about one of them. Um, he yeah. stepped up a little bit more after that, but it seemed like he could have done a little more and prevented from Messi from turning a little bit and uh, even getting some opportunities. And if he would have been up a little bit more, a little more pressure, I think it would have been even just more of just more of Juventus just uh, uh, really laying it on Barcelona if he would just had a little more pressure on him. But yeah, and um, actually. After the um, the Juventus Barcelona game, they are looking to officially make his move to Juventus a permanent deal. He's technically only on loan from Schalke, and I think he has like a buyout clause or something like that of anywhere from like seventeen to twenty million. Mm-hmm. And I think that Juventus is going to make that permanent. I think they're officially going to make that league permanent. I saw an article that came out that was talking about him, them. And I think he wants to make the move permanent. I think he's enjoying it with how bad Schalke is doing right now in the Bundesliga. I don't see him wanting to go back there. And I think with Schalke's financial issues, I think they're definitely going to take the money that they're going to receive because they can use every, anything they can get right now. So I think, I think uh, Weston McKinney to Juventus is going to become a permanent deal. And I think that's really, really great for him as well as obviously American soccer. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he just got an assist today too. I think that's right. Like you, yeah. Juventus had a game and he just got an assist too. So he's he's doing really, really well with them. And he's finally starting to get kind of into the goals and into the assists. So that's great to see. Yeah, yeah. He's really playing well offensively. Yep. So uh, that's basically all I've got for us tonight, unless you've got something else you'd like to add. No, I think that's about it. All right, cool. So uh, if you're listening to this still, make sure you go and check out AFC uh, – Como.com for AFC Columbia, about the uh, getting trying to get a semi pro team here put in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, thank you for listening. And find us next Sunday on episode three of the Most Soccer Podcast. Goodbye.